Hello and welcome to a very special Government Meltdown edition of the Politics Home podcast. I'm your host for the week, Matt Foster, news editor here at Politics Home. They say that a week is a long time in politics, which might explain why we're all uh, feeling and sounding about 72 years older than when you last heard from us. In the past week alone, we've had a bevy of ministerial resignations, possibly more to come. Furious calls for a no-confidence vote in the embattled Prime Minister. Some screeching U-turns forced on ministers. Oh, and a uh, 585-page Brexit deal for a bit of bedtime reading. Here to make sense of it all, as ever, is uh, the man who's written more words this week than the Brexit negotiators, Paul Home Editor Kevin Schofield. <laughs> Hello, Kevin. Hi, Mark. And uh, the Chief of Reporting, our very own Chief Reporter, Emilio Castelliccio. Big welcome to you, Emilio. Hi, Matt. So, guys, this should be um, a total breeze. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's gently skip through the week's events, and hopefully we'll be done by uh, tea time. What kicked off this latest bout of mania in Westminster? Well, we finally uh, got a deal, or I should say a draft withdrawal agreement uh, was finally um, reached between the UK government and Brussels uh, on Wednesday. We were, we were told finally that, um, that the deal had been done and that there was going to be an emergency cabinet meeting. Uh, very unusual to have a cabinet meeting on uh, Wednesday afternoon to formally sign it off. Now, this was at two o'clock on Wednesday, the meeting was uh, taking place and Tentatively, we were told that the Prime Minister would be making a statement outside Number 10 Downing Street afterwards at 5 o'clock, uh, basically to say that it had all, been, it had all gone swimmingly. Uh, well, the best laid plans and all that. Um, the meeting itself went on until 7, which is never a good sign when these things go on um, longer than, than they're supposed to. It doesn't uh, indicate harmony, let's just say that. Um, and uh, However, she did manage to sort of get a collective agreement, and that's that's important because the principles of cabinet collective responsibility is that even if you don't agree with it yourself as a minister, if the whole cabinet agree, then you've got to go along with it. Um, but we quickly found out that a third, around about 10 uh, members of the cabinet, spoke out against this deal. They initially agreed to swallow it, um, but then it very quickly began to unravel uh, on Thursday morning when... Um, uh, the Brexit Secretary Dominic Raab quit before 9am. So before we get into all the uh, the chaos that in, ensued on Thursday, what exactly was kind of in the withdrawal agreement? Well, the, the key, I mean, if you're looking at it from Theresa May's point of view, and this is certainly what Number 10 Downing Street were trying to highlight the, the big win, as they saw it for them, was that the um, Brussels had agreed that uh, after the transition period, which runs until the end of 2020, so we leave the EU next March, but then until the end of 2020, we will still be in the customs union and the single market, theoretically, while the future relationship is thrashed out. Um, and then after that, first day of 2021, in theory, brave new world, everything's hunky-dory, um, and, we, and we move on as a, as a non-EU state. Um, However, um, you know, it doesn't look... I think that's quite ambitious. So um, were we not to be in that position at the end of 2020, uh, there is a chance that we would basically just crash out then and we'd have to have a hard border in Ireland. So in order to avoid that, we've got this backstop arrangement, which will mean that the entire UK, that's non-Ireland and Great Britain, will remain in a customs union with... Uh, the EU. Now this will avoid the need for a hard border in Ireland and this is a win for, for the Prime Minister because initially um, the EU were 
put their post that they just wanted Northern Ireland itself to remain in a customs union and effectively in the single market as well. Now that is anathema to the government. They say that would effectively put a border down the Irish Sea. They wouldn't swallow that. So on the face of it, good news for Theresa May. However, buried in the document was an acknowledgement that Northern Ireland will still be treated slightly differently because as well as being in a customs union alongside the rest of the UK, there will be elements of the single market that Northern Ireland will have to sign up to in order to maintain regulatory harmony with the EU and avoid a hard border. The DUP and Tory Brexiteers have completely erupted over this. They say that this will leave, um, effectively, carve up the United Kingdom, the EU basically forcing the breakup of, of the UK, which obviously is not going to go down well with the DUP. Uh, and Tory Brexiteers just say it's going to make Britain effectively a vassal state, accepting rules and regulations from the EU, but not having any say in implementing them. So that's why they're not happy. So obviously there were, there were some uh, kind of warning shots fired on, on Wednesday from the DUP and Brexiteers, but we kind of, I think, went to bed on Wednesday wondering if May had maybe pulled it off after that statement. Um, so kind of who, who fired the first shots yesterday, Emilio, which in the Cabinet? Um, so, well, in the Cabinet, the first Cabinet Minister of Israel was Dominic Raab. He was preceded by a Northern Ireland Minister called Shali Shvara. Um, so he was the first to quit pretty early in the morning, um, which kind of, I guess, started setting the ball rolling. Journalists were thinking, oh, you know, obviously something interesting is going to happen here. And then it just exploded when Dominic Raab quit sort of somewhere between 8 and 9am I think I remember I was walking to work and I heard it announced on the radio and I just thought shit you know this is going to be a big day you know we're set for a big day at work today if the Brexit secretary is kind of one of the first in line to quit who knows what could happen next basically when it's about Brexit Um, in fact I got to Parliament I saw a Tory MP it's always a pleasure when you break that kind of news to a Tory MP I saw a guy and I said oh you know what do you think about this and I could just see the same reaction in this guy just thinking well, what's going to happen here? And he, and he said, oh, this is a terrible day for this. I've left my iPhone at home, <laughs> which is always good. Um, so, yeah, those are the first two. That was short. I can't remember exactly the order, but that was roughly followed by uh, Estimate McVeigh, the Work and Pension Secretary. She also resigned. Uh, and then there were a couple of PPSs. And, um, they're basically they're kind of aides to government ministers, basically. It's kind of the first, the bottom, the first rung on the government ladder. Um, who quit over it as well, and a Tory vice chair called Remen Shishchi, he, he quit over it as well. Uh, formerly considered to be quite a loyal guy, actually, so that was something of a surprise. Because he, he voted Remain as well, I think, didn't he? I think he'd vote Remain, yeah, and he he was criticised not that long ago, I can't remember what it was, but he'd blocked some um, asylum bill or something in the Commons. He was, was one of these guys that kind of stood up and, you know, talked out one of these PMBs or something in the Commons because, you know, he was doing his job for the government, he'd obviously been told to do it, and then now he's resigning over Brexit, it's <laughs> not looking good. So he was previously pretty much a loyalist and then... Yeah, and then he suddenly jumped yeah. <laughs> over Brexit. What was the main thrust of the, uh, you know, if, if there was a common theme in the resignation letters, what were they saying? So the common theme is this Northern Irish backstop, basically. So um, Dominic Raab, he had two key problems with it. Um, one was that he thought that it would risk the breakup of the UK, um, because obviously if Northern Ireland is being treated slightly differently, then, um, you know, that's... Firstly, a, a difference in regulation. And then secondly, he thought that that could obviously trigger Scotland to ask for um, its own differences as well. Obviously, there's a big drive in Scotland among the SNP for independence. So they will seize on anything that makes it sound like Northern Ireland is getting some kind of different or special treatment or whatever. Um, and then also he was saying that this idea, you know, the, the, the idea of this backstop is that 
we have this kind of special mechanism, yeah, where the UK stays in the customs union, like Kevin said, with these slight uh, aspects of the single market for Northern Ireland. And the problem is there's no real specific end date to it. The, the way that it would end is there has to be an agreement between the UK and the EU for the thing to come to a, to an end. And, you know, for example, one of the ways that that could happen is if, yeah, we agree a future trade deal. But people like Dominic Raab and all the Tory Brexiteers, they, they don't like the idea that we could essentially be locked into something yeah. with the EU having the say over what happens. And so a lot of the warnings are about, you know, being held permanently in, in limbo in this, this kind of thing. Um, uh, Remen Shishi, he was saying that um, it would leave the UK in a sort of hybrid state where it's kind of in and out of the EU at the same time, but just with no control over it. And that's, those are the kind of things that you heard repeated in, yeah, for example, Esther McVeigh, uh, her letter, um, and some of the others as well. Kevin, at the risk of um, holding us all to um, fortune here, are, are we expecting any more big names to storm out? There's obviously been some developments this morning. Yeah, we understand that Michael Gove has decided not to resign. Now, he was offered um, Dominic Rabb's job uh, after Dominic Rabb quit um, and Michael Gove was offered the Brexit Secretary's job but he said he would only accept it if um, he was uh, allowed to go back to Brussels and start changing the deal which given that Theresa May has said this is as good as it's going to get was never ever going to fly with with her um, so that uh, left his future in the balance um, and he has apparently said this morning that he's decided to stay as Environment Secretary so that's a that's a boost for, for Theresa May. There's no doubt, I think, if she'd lost him as well, given that he'd been a high-profile Brexiteer, obviously a previous Tory leadership candidate, I think that, again, would have been um, a, a, real, a real blow for her uh, chances of staying in office. But, you know, we'll come on to this, I'm sure, but away from the Cabinet melodrama, we've also got the fact that more and more Tory MPs are, are calling for the, the Prime Minister's head. So yeah, let's get on to that. Um, how did uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg and his um, pals react to the cabinet exits yesterday? Uh, well, they were pleased as punch. I mean, they, you know, they, they thought it was great. Obviously, they the, the the thing that they, I think, it seems really want is just a, a no-deal Brexit. That's the way it feels. You know, they want the specifics of the, what they want. It seems like that's going to be a pretty difficult thing to negotiate. Uh, when Theresa May stood up in the Commons yesterday and t- laid out her deal in a statement and she mentioned, you know, if this doesn't work for us, then one of the risks is a no-deal Brexit. They all cheered. And, you know, the suggestion is that that's the thing that they're really trying to drive for. All they want is just the, the cleanest cut as possible from the EU. And so ministers resigning in protest at this deal that they think is going to keep us tied to Brussels for longer and longer is just music to their ears, basically. Um, uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg did a press conference later in the day um, which was is extraordinary. I was I was at it, and it was it was remarkable, really, because the, so there'd been a meeting of the European Research Group, which is the group of hardcore Tory backbench um, Brexiteers. So the, it was in committee room ten in Parliament, and all the journalists we were all hanging about outside, and you could see through the window of, of the door, and you could see Boris Johnson was in there. There was about between thirty and forty Tory MPs, and um, we were told. Um, as Jacob Rees-Mogg went in, that he was going to put in a letter of no confidence to uh, Graham Brady, the chair of the 1922 Committee of Tory MPs, um, and there needs to be 48 of these letters in order to trigger a confidence vote. Now, um, we were then waiting for Jacob Rees-Mogg to come out, and there was this classic scrum uh, outside the uh, committee room as he walked from there to St Stephen's entrance, um, which folk probably saw on the TV last night was where he'd 
decided to have his press conference and there was like mass drinks of photographers and cameramen, there was a microphone stand, um, lots of journalists obviously, and it really felt almost like he was launching his own challenge to the Prime Minister. Now he insisted it's not a coup, he doesn't want to be a leader, but it had all the trappings of someone who is definitely looking to be at the vanguard of the attempt to, to unseat her. Now we just expected that there'd be an announcement very, very shortly afterwards that the 48 letters had gone in and that there'd be a confidence vote even as early as today. But that didn't happen last night, which was a bit of a surprise to, to most people. Um, but again, there's lots of uh, chatter this morning that those letters have indeed gone in. So they could be getting a vote of confidence in her as early as Monday. Uh, and yeah, if you want to know what Jacob Rees-Mogg, etc., they think of the resigners, how happy they are, in the press conference, Jacob Rees-Mogg was asked, well, you know, if you don't want the leadership like he was claiming, then who should do it? And who does he reel off? Boris Johnson, David Davis, Dominic Raab, Estimate Vay, everyone that resigned. You know, he thinks they should obviously be rewarded for it. Yeah, yeah. So, so Kevin, will there be a no-confidence vote? I think it's inevitable now. Um, I don't think anyone seriously thinks that they're not going to get the, the 48 letters. I mean, there's been a lot of speculation in the Sunday papers in the last month or two that they already were sort of 45, 46 letters in. So I'm not, I don't know, obviously those stories weren't entirely accurate because... A few more went in yesterday. That, that was a different yesterday was Tory MPs um, announcing that they'd put in their, their letters and publishing their letters. Jacob Rees-Mogg published his letters. Steve Baker, former Brexit minister, another leading Brexiteer, he announced that he'd put in his letter on October the 22nd and published it. One or two other MPs did the same. So I think what they're trying to do is create a head of steam. Um, now, there's, I wouldn't want people thinking that, that this is the... Um, the view of most Tory MPs, mm. you know, there's a real split uh, in the party. A lot. We spoke to like Alistair Burke. We spoke to him outside that. I mean, he wasn't in the meeting. He's a uh, pro EU minister, but um, he just happened to be walking past, and we were speaking to him outside, and he was saying like, "This is just a bad idea. This is not the way we should be doing things. This is just madness. Why would you get rid of a leader four months out from Brexit? Um, this deal is as good as it's going to get. All this is going to do is just create more uncertainty and." increase the chance of a, of a no-deal Brexit. Even Brexiteers are thinking, because mm, the thing is, if we were to have the vote and she was to win it, then under Tory party rules, she can't be touched for another 12 months. So there's, it's high-stakes stuff. It could actually strengthen her position in a strange way if she was challenged and ended up winning. So um, uh, it's a gamble by the Brexiteers, but I think now that they've seen the deal that she's come back with, they've decided that they absolutely hate it and there's no other option other than to try and get rid of her. There, there were some reports this morning that the European Research Group uh, of, of Brexiteer backbenchers were themselves quite split over yeah. this issue of, yeah. of a no-confidence vote. Is, is there a sense that the Brexiteers may have overplayed their hand yesterday? Uh, perhaps, a little bit. Yeah, that, that's certainly true. We got that feeling from other ERG members as well who... who um, I mean, they were openly acknowledging it. They were saying like, the ERG is not a homogenous body. They, they don't take a party line. They don't all... Um, agree with, with, with one another and there's undoubtedly a lot of them who think it's too much of a risk um, to try and unseat her in case they don't succeed so um, so yeah the, I just I did feel a little bit last night that they had overplayed their hand just because you know to go to the extremes of having this um, this press conference very very well organised press conference you know um, it, they even had their own um, camera crew that they'd organised to film it. I mean, they, didn't, they didn't have their own security to get rid of the protests. No, they, they didn't. No, well, that was quite funny. So there's this stop Brexit guy who is who's maintaining a vigil outside Parliament. He was at the party conferences as well. He goes around with a blue 
bowler hat with the European stars on it and he just shouts stop Brexit all day long and uh, he got wind of this press conference happening across the road from his little pitch so he comes across the road and uh, he's got a megaphone so you've got Jacob Rees-Mogg trying to give this press conference and this guy shouting stop Brexit stop Brexit and he's trying to drown out Jacob Rees-Mogg you know there was something very British about it actually it was kind of farcical you know um, but yeah there is a, a suggestion you know if, if Jacob Rees-Mogg goes to those lengths and fails to bring it down then uh, he undoubtedly has overplayed his hand I tell you what I think I'm going to treat our listeners to a little clip of that uh, protester so let's talk about the PM's reaction to this um Theresa May seems to have come out fighting. Yeah. Um, what did she say at her press conference on Thursday and uh, in the kind of media blitz this morning? Yeah, so, so last night we were, uh, it was announced there was going to be a press conference at 5pm and a lot of people were getting rather excited. We're thinking, oh God, is she going to resign? Is she, God forbid, going to announce another general election? Um, or was she maybe going to preempt it and say, like John Major did in 1995, put up a shut up? I, you know, let's have a conference vote. Let's get this out in the in the open. It's not really her style though to do that. You know, in classic Theresa May uh, fashion, she just basically got up there and and reinforced her her own position that the deal is as good as it's going to get, and the national interest MPs should support it. Um, and uh, and yeah, there is there is no alternative. I mean, there's one or two. The other interesting line of thought from it was when she said basically, I intend to be here to see it through is what she said so there's certainly no question of her standing down Amelia will that be enough to uh, win over her critics I, I suspect we know the answer to this already but um, well my view is uh, it's unlikely I think the problem that the Prime Minister has is that yeah sure she might be someone that wants to get down to work and worry about the detail etc but she's a terrible terrible salesperson which is a very important part of being a Prime Minister and so when you see a press conference like the one that she did last night, yeah, she'll talk about a bit about the detail, but she's not very good at kind of really succinctly putting across what's a good deal or coming out with kind of fighting talk or basically being inspiring about something. And I think that the problem there is that not only MPs who she's trying to rally to vote for her, but also members of the public, they're just going to look at it and think, well, what, like, what is there for me to really get on board with here um, I think that's kind of a big problem she was the, the warning that she kind of was making yesterday to MPs was basically and she didn't even really say it as strongly as this that's a problem but basically saying if you don't back me then your constituents will kind of punish you at the ballot boxes potentially you know i.e. you could you're at risk of losing your seats if you sort of do damage to our country by voting down a deal or stopping Brexit altogether um, and looking at some of the polling yesterday, the Sky data poll particularly, it kind of shows that the deal is pretty much the least popular option out of all three uh, for a lot of people in the country. And so it doesn't really make sense to make that threat to MPs about when it, it just doesn't ring true in reality. They're going to look at the situation and think, well, actually, my constituents, they just want to crash out with no deal because they just want to get it done. Or, you know, my constituents, they want to stay in the EU. And so it doesn't necessarily make sense to make that threat I think and so I think she needs to do more work A to bring people along with her in a kind of inspiring way and B not really make threats that don't actually add up and also the other thing we should have mentioned was that yesterday morning she got up and made this statement so you know she's lost Dominic Raab and Esther McVeigh 
before 10 o'clock in the morning and she gets up and makes a statement at half past 10 and it's nearly half past 11 before an MP gets up and supports her deal. Mm. You know, you had a succession of MPs on all sides of the house getting up and basically saying this deal is an absolute stinker, we're not going to vote for it. Um, you know, you're absolutely kidding yourself if you think this, this thing's going to fly. So, you know, any Prime Minister, any Chief Whip looking at that and doing, and doing the numbers must realise that there is next to no chance of MPs um, voting for it. Let, let, let's talk about the big kind of showdown still ahead, Kevin. When's it looking like MPs are going to get to vote on this? So what we've still got in two weeks' time, we've got a, a special EU summit. Uh, to formally sign off. So there's still a little bit of um, haggling going on. So we've got the withdrawal agreement. We've also got a thing called the Future future Framework, which is going to set out in broad terms the, the future relationship between Britain and the EU after Brexit. And the negotiations on that are still ongoing. But assuming that, that, that those are done, uh, we'll have this summit, I think, November the 25th. It'll be formally uh, ratified. And then it comes to Parliament for this meaningful vote early in December um, and that is going to be the proper crunch moment you know because if there's confusion as ever about what would happen if um, Parliament were to vote it down would the Parliament be able to amend the motion that the government brings forward to say for instance well there should be a second referendum or you know Parliament should step in at this point and um, rule out no deal uh, no one really knows but that's going to be the next absolute crunch point and if you were to lose that vote you know, would she have to quit? You know, there and then. I mean, that is this is the signal um, piece of legislation uh, of her government, uh, and if she can't get that through, then she's clearly lost the confidence of the house. Would she resign? If, uh, another suggestion is that no. What she might do is just sit back, watch the markets react to the chances of no deal uh, skyrocketing, and um, almost hope. That they, that they um, uh, are unhappy at that and the value of the pound sinks, the economy goes into a tailspin, then comes back again to MPs and say, look, what's the alternative? The alternative is economic chaos, so you better vote for it and hope that they vote it through a second time. But I think that is, um, I think that is unlikely to be how it pans out, but I've been wrong many, many times before. You, you mentioned the uh, kind of storm of criticism she faced in the Commons uh, when she gave her statement. Is it looking like she's got any chance of getting this through? Where, where might the votes come from? I just don't think... I mean, I wouldn't want to give the impression that everyone hates it. You know, there, there will be Tory MPs, certainly, who will who will vote for it. The, the DUP have made it clear they won't vote for it. SNP won't vote for it. I think a couple of Lib Dems have said they will vote for it. Labour, you know, almost unanimously will vote against it. You might get two or three. I think Frank Field has said he'll vote for it. But even Kate Hoy, you know, a leading Labour Rex steer, has said that she won't vote for it. Um, so I just don't see how she gets uh, enough MPs on board. I just think it is, it is absolutely impossible. You know, we also had, you know, since our last um, podcast, we had Joe Johnson resign last Friday. Now, he was a Remainer, uh, and everyone assumed that he would be a bit of a loyalist, Boris Johnson's brother, obviously. Um, but he said, no, he can't vote for it. So he's coming from the Tory Remain wing, who say it's just a terrible deal. So she's got Tory Remainers now, Brexiteers, as well as all the other parties voting against it. I just, I just think it's utterly impossible to see how it can go through. 
Uh, Emilio, there was some talk, uh, you know, that in recent weeks about Labour MPs kind of um, defying Jeremy Corbyn and riding to her rescue. Does that seem seem likely now? And, and kind of how has the deal gone down with the the Labour front bench as well as the PLP? Um, well, the Labour front bench seems pretty clear that it's not going to vote. It's going to vote against the deal. Um, obviously, for a long time, they've been saying that the deal, any deal, has to meet six tests that they've set out. For example, it has to um, maintain the same benefits as single market customs union membership. For example, they're saying that the deal has not met those six tests, um, and therefore the the natural follow, obviously, is that they won't vote for it. So that's pretty much what Jeremy Corbyn. They haven't explicitly said, okay, yes, one hundred percent, we're not going to vote for it, but that is very much the suggestion. Obviously, yeah, the hope for Theresa May, because she can't count on so many of her own side, would be that a lot of Labour MPs, yeah, fall in uh, behind her and back it, either because, I guess, they're scared of a no-deal Brexit or because they think that the um, the referendum results should be delivered or whatever. Um, I, one one Labour MP uh, who's messaged me, um, who is kind of part of the moderate group of Labour MPs sort of mm. considered to be, um, says... That that's not going to happen though. So this person's saying, I think anyone who was considering bailing out Theresa May would have seen that there is overwhelming opposition to her deal and even if they did vote for it, she wouldn't win. So they would ask themselves, what's the point in sticking my neck out? And I feel like that kind of seems to be the genu- general, general consensus here. A lot of the critical MPs, they've kind of produced this wave of opposition to this thing and I think a lot of people are going to see the way that the wind is blowing and think, well, yeah, why would I bother? I did speak... Interestingly, Kevin was talking about the, the Labour Brexiteers, Kate Howey, saying that she's not going to vote for it. I did speak to um, one of the kind of key figures in the Labour Brexit um, camp this morning as well. Um, and he sort of suggested that a lot of them are, I mean, you know, there's a handful or so, but he suggested that most of them, they're kind of thinking about holding their fire at the moment. They were sort of saying, well, Theresa May could be gone in a few days. At that point, the whole thing is going to be different and we'll take a view then. So it sort of sounds like some of those guys might be open to it. Obviously, a key thing for them is getting Brexit done effectively. Um, but yeah, like Kevin's saying, it's just a lot of people seem to be against it. It's impossible to know really that many people who she can count on, who she can't. Kevin was talking about the Tory Remainers. Nikki Morgan, for example, came out yesterday, someone that people would have assumed would be one of the stronger Remainers. She's saying, I'm going to back this deal. It's the, it's the most sensible thing for the country. So all the Tory MPs, all the Labour MPs, they really seem to be going with their consciences on this one. And it's going to be hard to say until it happens. But the, the, the weight of opposition seems strong. Kevin, while we're on the subject of uh, Labour, uh, Jeremy Corbyn had his own Brexit battle this week or, or over the weekend. Um, what, what kicked off there? Well, yeah, yeah so you go back to last Friday at an interview. He doesn't do very many interviews with the uh, mainstream media, uh, Jeremy Corbyn. I did air apostrophes there, which don't come across very well <laughs> on a podcast. Um, uh, so he gave an interview, naturally, not to a British newspaper, but to Der Spiegel, a German magazine, in which he was asked you know, if you could... If you could uh, stop Brexit, would you? And he says, we can't stop Brexit. This obviously uh, went down like the proverbial knackered lift with um, a lot of Labour Remainers who think that, well, basically point to the fact that Labour's policy is to keep the option of a referendum, another referendum, with Remain possibly on the ballot paper on the table. So he seemed to be going against his own party's policy. Now, um, uh, Keir Starmer, the shadow Brexit secretary, he made clear that Brexit can be stopped, you know, if... Uh, what Labour want first and foremost is vote down the deal and call for a general election. They won't get that. If there's no general election, then referendum... All, all options are on the table, which would obviously include a referendum, and Keir Starmer pointed that out. Now, I also, like this week, interviewed for the House magazine Tom Watson, the Labour deputy leader, and he went a little bit further still by saying that he believes that 
um, a second referendum is more likely now than it's ever been before. Um, he said, look, this has been Labour policy for quite some time, but when we first came up with the policy, it looked rather far-fetched. But he's saying, you know, the way things are going at the moment, it's more likely than, than it's ever been. Personally, I still think it is unlikely, but it's definitely true that it's um, the, the chances of it happening are certainly improving. Um, I'm going to uh, throw a few listeners' questions at you guys now. We've, we've uh, had a fair few this week about Brexit. Um, Harry Brady says, I'm confused. Harry, you're in uh, good company there. Um, surely the Brexit minister was negotiating the Brexit deal. If he did, why did he resign? If he didn't, what's he been doing when these negotiations were taking place, Kevin? Yeah, well, it depends how you uh, look at the role of the Brexit secretary. As the name suggested, you're right, he should have been the one going there as a chief, chief negotiator. In practice, the chief negotiator is a guy called Ollie Robbins, who is a senior civil servant, who is Theresa May's top Brexit advisor. And he's the one, basically, who's been shuttling between Number 10 and Brussels for months, um, doing the deal. And obviously, the suspicion is that he is much more pro-Remain, like Theresa May is, than either David Davis, who was Brexit secretary before, or Dominic Raab, who has just resigned. So, um, so yeah, I can see why a lot of people yesterday were saying, well, this is ridiculous, he's resigning over a deal that, that, that he helped come up with. But I think that is not strictly accurate. I think you're Brexit secretary and you are involved in the negotiations up to a point, but you're not actually in charge of the negotiations. Ultimately, the Prime Minister is in charge and then below her, it's Ollie Robbins. So, um, so yeah, I can see where Harry's coming from, but uh, it's not quite as straightforward as that. Emilio, Harry's got another one for us. Um, can the Tories survive Brexit? Um, yes or no? <laughs> <laughs> That's um, a nice easy question. Come yeah. on. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends what you mean by survive, doesn't it? Like, obviously, the party's still going to exist after Brexit, <laughs> but the question is, I suppose, in what form and how close to power they're going to be, I think, I guess is the important thing. Obviously, right now, they're incredibly divided, and the famous political adages that divided parties don't win power and so they're putting their chances of winning the next election very much at risk um, obviously if the prime minister gets bought down then who knows what could happen there could be snap election or whatever referendum who knows um, you know they'll survive it but i think they're going to be in a pretty bruised shape afterwards no matter what happens you know they're not helping themselves at the moment they're completely tearing themselves apart um, another one from Harry, who is, is just really confused. Um, <laughs> Poor Harry. <laughs> Kevin, um, does Labour really want an election? Uh, yeah, that, that's a really tricky question, actually. Uh, officially, yes, it's official party policy. That, um, and I, I do believe that Jeremy Corbyn and John McDonnell want an election because you know they look at the opinion polls, they look at the state of the Tories and think, give us an election and we're bound to win it. However, a lot of Labour MPs are nervous at the prospect of Jeremy Corbyn being, being Prime Minister so um, they're not they're not pushing for it but I guess if it was ever put to a vote in the House of Commons they would they would have to vote for it because it would just look so bad if they went against the party whip on that one um, but yeah so officially the party is in favour of an election the front bench want an election but there's um, a lot of reticence on the back benches I think uh, we've got one final question from uh, Twitter user Scouse Tims. Great um, name, great name. <laughs> on, uh, on days like this, what's your fueling strategy? No, he sent that on, I think, Wednesday. So that was the first mental day of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, my fueling strategy is it's just to eat as much as I can when I can. But you, you end up, like, I had lunch that day, I think, at three in the afternoon. You just, you get to, you look at the clock and it's three o'clock. Jeez, I've not had any lunch. So you go and just grab a sandwich 
So there's not really a strategy. It's more just a case of just grab food when you can. But um, but yeah, who cares about hungry journalists when the future of the country's at stake? It's very noble. Um, I, I think the key strategy is lots of coffee. I think that's what a lot of journalists go for. They just basically fill up all day. I find if uh, if it's a day like yesterday, I end up yeah, you know, I, I drink it way too much, and then it makes me hungrier and hungrier. And we got to the end of the day towards the press we're, conference we're yesterday, the press conference, yeah. and um, I was in the press gallery with Kevin and a couple of other people that work on different publications, and I asked around for biscuits because uh, <laughs> I could feel that the hunger was beginning. And Theresa May was going to be at this press conference, but she was already a bit late, and people were saying, "Oh, it's going to be another fifteen minutes or whatever." And I could feel that. I was maybe going to end up with a problem where I was going to be covering this press conference, but I was going to be hungry, but I didn't know if I had time to run to the canteen and quickly get something. So I was asking around for biscuits. Nobody had any. But then I realised there's a little fridge in the room and I'd left a big block of cheese in there. Whoa. So I just sat there gnawing on cheese. And I Pretty was fine well. in the end. Yeah, so that is your funeral. And I think from following Scouse Tim's, I think he might be like a triathlete or something. I think I'm right in saying. Like so a... obviously, maybe that's why he's asking the question. So I'd quite like to get his feedback on our... Uh, fueling strategy such as it is he might, he might have a few tips for us I, th- I think we've given our listeners uh, an insight into the sheer glamour of political <laughs> journalism today um, blocks of cheese and sandwiches on the hoof we, we normally do a run through of the weirdest stories of the week I think uh, for this episode listeners can just scroll back to the start of the podcast and listen again uh, that covers it um, until next week when I'm sure everything will have uh, calmed down completely thanks very much for listening and uh, see you again 